Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Johnny Wheels and the Swamp Donkeys. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. his teeth.
before I finished my tea. his teeth. Let me out 
from his brand new release and we got johnny on the line right now hey johnny how are you hey i'm doing great richard how are you doing i'm doing pretty well now this is the first time you've been on our show and we always start things off by giving our fans an opportunity to get to know you and the best way to do that is through your journey so give us the story of johnny wheels oh man it starts uh when I was a very, very young kid, about the age of two or three, my, my father bought my first real guitar, a court electric guitar, and a gorilla amplifier. Um, and these, these were not toys. They were, they were for me to learn to play music. Um, from there, he sat me down at drum sets, at band practice, uh, taught me how to play the bass very shortly. Um, my dad played guitar. He played drums. He played bass. He sang. He did pretty much everything. Um, and he was killed when he was he was thirty four years old. I was six years old. He was killed on the job. He was a millwright, and uh, he was killed at work. And so that took uh, a little a little uh, bit of refocusing and figuring out who I am at seven years old and trying to figure out how music still fit in my life. And I be- ventured into just strictly continuing to play guitar, tried to take lessons from his friends or people that were around. Um, and then tragedy struck me when I was 12, I was put into a wheelchair. I was swimming with some friends and I jumped into the river head first and broke my neck in three places. And it left me a C5, C6 quadriplegic, which I'm technically paralyzed from about the nipple line down. Um, so that took away my ability to play guitar. It also took away my ability to play drums. And that led me in the direction of just focusing on how to sing. I had always sang as a kid, but never really took any consideration into wanting to be a singer until I had no choice but to just use my voice. Um, and from there, I, I started just sitting in with friends that played in bands. I had some real young friends that were around my age, 14, 15 at the time, that were playing in bands and playing gigs. And so I would go to their gigs and sit in with them and maybe around 18, 19, I decided that I wanted to do it myself. And I started recruiting people to play music with me. And I had a friend who played acoustic guitar. So we started doing acoustic gigs at the local bars. And that led to recruiting a drummer and a bass player and starting a band. And then somewhere in my twenties, I decided to get on YouTube and lock myself in my bedroom and learn how to play harmonica. And it took me about three months of just watching YouTube videos of people playing harmonica before I could 
go out and play harmonica live at least enough to learn more. Um, and from there, the rest is just kind of a steam train rolling along with me finding musicians that had the same goal in mind that I did. And that led me to finding Taylor Frazier and Brandon Logan. Um, it also brought us Michael Raby and Doug Noyle, who we went to Memphis in 2020 and competed in the International Blues Challenge and finished as one of the top finalists at the International Blues Challenge. Okay. That's and, kind of a quick a quick history there. Yeah, well, that's quite a history, actually. Um, well, let's talk about the release. Um, if you were to run into someone in the street and you wanted to give them the elevator pitch you know, about this release and get them excited about it, what would you tell them? Uh, well, we, we're really proud of this, of this album. We worked really hard on creating a sound of our own. So I would tell them that they're probably going to hear a CD like they've never heard before with very, very different styles, um, all wrapped up into basically a soul blues album. Um, with some rock and roll on it. Uh, we have out, outstanding musicians on the album. The songs were crafted over the course of years, not just months. So we really took our time to put forward our heart and soul into an album that I would consider to be something that ranges from like Otis Rush, Otis Redding, to almost like a Guns N' Roses feel at some point. It's, it's a very vast, different album. So it would be, uh, I'd just tell them it's probably the most vast, exciting thing they're going to hear. Okay. Now, um, let's talk about you as a songwriter. When you begin that process, what is kind of your mechanism that allows you to tap into the muse? Usually, my my when I write a song personally, it just kind of comes to me through looking out the window or you know, sitting in the car and music kind of pops into my head and I hear the, hear a line or hear some sort of instrument and I kind of craft, craft songs that way for me personally. They're very spontaneous. Um, the way that we wrote the album was Taylor, Brandon, and I sat down in my living room every Tuesday during COVID for about a year and a half and we sat here with an acoustic guitar a few joints and a pad of paper and crafted these songs one by one to get okay. completely, completely together. Um, music, words, everything was, was done together, all three of us. Nice. Okay. Now, um, you know, a lot of these songwriters today have embraced the technology of cell phones and home recording studios. What are some of the, tools that you have found that have been indispensable to you guys when you sit down to begin that writing process? Well, for us, there's nothing better than a good old-fashioned piece of paper and a pencil. Um, that That is how we wrote everything everything down. We, we kept a folder um, titled the songs. We wrote every word in there. Um, so for us, it was really just you know, keeping, keeping a pencil and a piece of paper around. Um, but for me personally, being in a wheelchair, technology has helped me a lot because I don't have the physical ability to write too well. So I use um, voice recording on my phone. Um, I, I record 
our ideas at practice on on just my memos um and then i take notes on a note taker uh just your standard note taker on the on the iphone so for me personally technology is really involved in my my own personal songwriting but for the band it was really a throwback feel of let's sit down at this table with a piece of paper and a pen and write some songs okay now uh of course every writer gets that point in their in their writing process where they have to put that pen down they have to move the song from the writing phase into the production phase and you know when you're working with the whole band that almost is an organic progression but you have to get to that point where you say okay we're, we're done with this what do you do as a quantifier to determine when a song is ready to move to the to the studio so for us, our songs were all done on on feeling. So we had the general, the general idea and the general feeling of what we wanted to do, um, and we called it good. There, we didn't try to finish the song and then take it to the studio. We tried to finish the idea, um, and then we took the ideas to the studio and created them in the studio. Um, and for us, this was a really unique experience because we did all this without a drummer. We didn't have a drummer in the band at the time that we wrote this album. So we wrote these songs acoustically and we took them to a, a drummer in Portland, a really well-known drummer by the name of Jimmy Bott. And we sat in his studio for three days together and finished writing the songs there. Okay. Well, let's talk about the studio process. Uh, when you get into that environment, what what is kind of your process that allows you to kind of uh, capture the sound you're looking for? Man, that's a that's a really good question. Um, you know, at the studio, you can you can kind of try something and hear it back to see if that's really what you're what you're going for. And that's what we did is um, we would lay down the the bass track. And then each individual person went in. And for me personally, I went in by myself with one of my friends, had ample time, ample drinks. Um, and I just put the headphones on and kind of closed my eyes and feel what the song is is going through in that moment. That's how, that's how I play music is in the moment. That's what you're going to get is how it feels then, not how it felt yesterday or how it's going to feel tomorrow. Okay. Now, um, tell, me, tell me about the lineup on this. Oh, man. Well, aside from uh, Brandon Logan playing all the guitars and Taylor Frazier is the bass player and then myself, Johnny Wheels, I sang and, and did the harmonica, the lineup on the album is, is absolutely pretty amazing as far as Portland musician goes. Um, we have St Steve Karen playing keys. He's a really well-known keyboard player in Portland. Um, we have uh, Joe Mac McCarthy, who did all the horns and all the arrangements, and he did all that without us ever meeting him. He did it all remotely. That was a pretty neat process, and that's that's where our technology really came in as well. Back to your previous question, is he sent everything through the internet, so that was cool. Um, our drummer that we got to work with, Jimmy Bott, is well known all over the world. Has multiple blues awards played with the fabulous thunderbirds um played with uh some harp players toward the world he was 
really a key instrument in our in our creative process and helping us along. He actually recorded everything and played the drums while we were doing the whole process. Um, and then our guest singer on the album, who I was really super excited with, is LaRonda Steele. And her she's just amazing. She can do a full choir all by herself. And to hear her work in the studio was, was absolutely mind-blowing and a really cool learning process for me. Okay. Um, now, uh, you're working with Frank Rozak uh, of Frank Rozak Promotions to do your radio and your PR. Uh, tell me about that relationship. Uh, Frank came to us because we uh, he is uh, pretty well known around the Portland scene once again. He's helped a lot of the players that we play with get their albums out. And more importantly, we are loosely involved with a record label called Lightning in a Bottle Records who they um, had a band, the Sugar Roots, who used Frank for all their promotion and everything. And so he really came word of mouth, and a couple of friends highly recommended him. And once we got on the phone and started talking to each other, it was pretty seamless that we all had the same goal in common. Okay. Um, now, let's talk about the industry a little bit. Uh, one of the, you know, the elephant in the room here is that the consumer... Uh, today no longer looks at recorded music as a product and that is a result of them embracing streaming as a way to consume music um, and you know you, you can't not be on the streaming platforms because if you know someone searches for you and you're not on Spotify you, you become irrelevant so it's kind of a catch-22 how has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? Well, I mean, it directly, in my opinion, makes us kind of a, I don't, I don't know if the right word would be. I, t I find that people don't take us like we're doing a, a, a job and creating our life work. They seem to be, thinking that we're just providing them something to listen to and be entertained by and it should come in no cost. Um, that That's how I perceive it. But I grew up as a Napster kid, so I saw the original pirating services and how they were going, going and affected, you know, music. And so I learned from a young age that to make money at music, you're going to have to do it live shows, merchandise, and provide people something that they have to come and see you for or they have to visit your website for. Um, and then on top of that, you got to put your music out there for free so people can kind of discover you because that's the way of, of the music industry now is, you know, we're all begging for a platform to put our music on. And there's a, a few out there that have capitalized on that and they provide it at, little to no cost and little to no payment to the artist. Okay. Now, um, if you look at streaming as a revenue stream, you really get the impression right away that this is not sustainable. We cannot continue to run a music industry where um, the main revenue stream for your product, your recorded product, does not even give you the opportunity to break even. 
I mean, you know, what it costs to, you know, rent a studio and get, you know, pay the musicians and the producer and the radio PR piece of person and so on and so forth. It really just doesn't add up. Uh, so we have to change that that uh, dichotomy, that that um, how the industry works. Uh, and there are some technologies that are coming down the pike that might change the way things are. Uh, one of them is streaming on the blockchain. Um, these new streaming platforms like Audius, Emanate, uh, Audio Locks, which give the artist the opportunity to have this artist-fan relationship that's devoid of the uh, the corporate structure. Let's put it that way. Uh, the guy who owns Spotify makes more money off an artist than any single artist that on his platform makes. And that's ridiculous. There's no reason for that. Uh, with these new streaming platforms, no company can own the platform. It's owned by the fans and by the artists because they are decentralized. And because of that and because of the way the smart contracts work, they can pay up to 80% of the incoming revenue directly back to the content creators or the artists themselves. What do you think of that as a potential for the future? I think that's a great step forward um, to have one person that's making, you know, I'll just put it in my terms, to have one person that owns Spotify or iTunes or any of that. They're making ungodly amounts of music compared to, or ungodly amounts of money compared to what I will ever see off of my own recordings, um, it, unless I get lucky, you know, and we're all just starving to get lucky and have that one, that one chance. So for somebody to step in and say, well, let's give the power back to not only the listeners, but the artists themselves, that's a, that's a good thing because now you have artists searching and being involved with the, with the fans and you have fans searching and being involved with the artist, like you said, directly. Um, so then they can also control the content and that'll probably broaden everything a lot more as well, because I feel like with Spotify and iTunes and you, you, YouTube music, you get stuck in a box. And if you don't fit in that box of what they're willing to put out there, for everybody to hear, then you're going to get lost along the shuffle of the million artists just begging for that one chance to be featured on iTunes or to be a spotlight artist on Spotify or YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, let me ask you this. Uh, of uh, One of the things that, that uh, I found interesting is, is that since the pandemic a lot of artists have started to create content on social media and using social media to kind of promote their brand. Um, and they're not just giving, you know, buy my music, come to the show kind of content. They're showing their fans who they are as people. They're giving them, these are my hobbies. These are the things that I do. I raise chickens. I got kittens. I got puppies. I got, you know, Whatever it is. I know my wife sits in bed every night and that's all she does is kittens, babies, and puppies, you know, over and over again. You know, little short form videos that keep her entertained. 
Um, what are some of the things you're doing to kind of um, interject yourself into that world? I've always been a, a fan of the live the live videos of me just kind of hanging out on a day where I'm not I'm not playing music. Um, I, I try to show as much as I can in pictures, you know, posts and stories, kind of just just like everybody's doing my my daily life. Um, one of my favorite videos that I put up is I have a, a dog that rides along with me on my wheelchair ramp to get into my van and just show that, that kind of side of me because while music is, is my life, I'm not sitting here doing music every day, all day. And a lot of other people want to know what I'm doing. So I do things like go live personally when I'm like sitting in the car waiting for somebody to run in and grab me something. And maybe there's, some craziness going on in front of me or something. So I try to go live and give those point of views or show my dogs and my ham, my home life. It's a little easier for me because being, being a disabled artist, um, and I'm the only one that I know of that does what I do as a quadriplegic being the front man leader of a band. So it's anybody that looks at me gets instantly intrigued into my life. And I've, kind of had that all along which has kind of been a jump start for me to show different things to people besides well here i am johnny wheels the singer and the and the harmonica player okay that's fair enough well you know i really appreciate you coming on the show uh it's been a real pleasure to have you on uh and we're going to give everyone out there an indie blues double shot from your new release and uh, you guys are going to love this you know what What's a man to do To break his own heart You pick up the pieces of a puzzle That was broken from the start I'm not the kind of man Who would leave a good girl alone
wish you would've went on and left me alone And the best thing was your bad loving baby Yes it was a charter night I'm feeling full of grace three days from dying I feel I'm at the end of my race in troubled times I see you I see your smiling face and you say to me keep on pushing down that trail Not your time to build. It's getting hard to just. I keep on moving out here. Tell me my time is near In 
troubled times is all I, I want to hear him. Soldiers, keep 
independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make 